1: Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. It is the Game Plan Podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-Shirt.com here on InsideCarolina.com. the game plan podcast of course that means carolina has a ball game on saturday miami comes to keenan stadium at 3 30 so i have jason staples and greg Barnes joining me the usual crew for the game plan greg we talked briefly off the air i want to flesh it out what's this game about saturday who is it about saturday and and why do we care so much going into 330 in
2: keenan well i was a little surprised to hear mac brown be as honest as he was on on monday when he said that look the college football playoffs off the table uh, a new year six bowl games off the table the acc championship is off the table and north carolina mathematically is still alive um but espn fpi gives unc a 0.3 percent chance of winning the acc so um a little Dumb and Dumber. Christmas. Right, there we go. Uh, So he understands kind of where everything's at. And so I think for North Carolina in the second half of the season, if you run the table, you give yourself a chance, right? But more than that, you don't want this season to go to waste. And I know a lot of fans are upset about how things have played out and that they're likely not going to win the Coastal. You can still get a lot better over the second half of the season. You can still have a winning record. You can still go to a good bowl game. I mean, you can still get ready for next year because this is a building process. And as much as fans want to see the trajectory being on a straight line like this, it is not linear. It doesn't happen that way. There's going to be ups and downs along the way. And it happens for every program. Um, and so North Carolina, we knew they had some things to get fixed. We all assumed in the offseason they were further ahead, especially defensively than what they were. We didn't think losing The, the skill position players on offense would be as, big of an impact for the offense. All these things were uh, below what we thought they would be. And North Carolina finds itself here at three and three at the halfway point of season. So you don't just throw in the towel. You have to plug ahead and you have to try to get better because if North Carolina is significantly better against NC state in a month and a half. Then there's going to be a lot of people feeling pretty good. Like, okay, we know it didn't start the way we wanted to, Um, but we feel pretty good about how much this team has progressed because that's the key. And then you can go into the next year and say, okay, we know we're losing some key pieces. So we're not exactly sure how things are going to play out, but they did better late in 2021. And so that gives us an idea of what the team's going to be like next year. If you don't accomplish those things, you've really lost an opportunity here. And every year is key because you don't want to waste a year when you've got guys that are freshmen and sophomore. Um, that, are, that are trying to build what they can do for you and build productivity and confidence and all those kinds of things. And so starting, I mean, starting against Virginia Tech, but really starting on Saturday against Miami, get better. Um, every single day, try to get better. Tommy, we talked about this earlier uh, this season, but after everything went so poorly for UNC in 2013, after the game against Miami on Zero Dark Thursday, the conversation was, all right, Forget what's happened thus far. Our only goal is to go 1-0. and If we can go 1-0 this week, we've accomplished something. And then we can move ahead to the next week. And it worked out pretty well for that team. Uh, what they win? Like maybe six of the last seven games. So that's the mindset this team needs to take.
1: Yeah, this season, a lot of people have compared the seasons. It reminds me of 1995 under Mac Brown. He came in. He cleaned house in 88-89. Um, they were pretty good. You know they tied Georgia Tech, six four and one tied the national champion. Then they beat Southern Cal um, out there in '93, and then '94 was a decent season. But then in '95, um, Carolina opened against Donovan McNabb in Keenan Stadium and lost 20 to nine, and then lost to Maryland, and then had a topsy turvy season. I believe they were four and five going into Duke on November 18th. They beat Duke. They won at State. And then they beat Arkansas in the bowl game to finish seven and five. And sort of, there it goes. There goes Mac Brown's rocket ship um, for North Carolina football. Jason, it feels like that type of a season at this point. Did we expect it? No. Um, but like you mentioned earlier in the week, and like we've talked about, that, as Greg says, there's a lot still to play for way beyond the results in this season specifically. And it starts Saturday, right?
0: Yeah, from the from the the coach's perspective, from the perspective of the people in that building, first of all, you never like to lose like you don't go out there every day and work through film and do all the work that you do as a coach or a player to lose. So that's that's never gone. (laughs) The, The other thing, though, is all you can do, even even when you're winning, is focus on getting better and on improving the areas that, that you're not good enough. And that stuff still applies and that stuff carries forward. I mean, the guys that are p- trying to move on, they're trying to trying to put film, put stuff on film for the next level. The guys who are going to be here are trying to get better for next year. And if they don't, they're going to get their jobs taken. So, I mean, this still is meaningful for the team as it stands. And, you know, yeah, it's a little bit harder to, to get guys to buy in in terms of you know certain team concepts and all of that. But the thing you have to persuade them of, the thing you have to convince them of, is that the only way they're going to look good as individuals is by doing their job and trusting their teammates. So to me, yeah, I mean, everything comes back to, well, do you still want to get better? Are you still trying to... Uh, to make to, to be the best football player and best football team he can, I think that's still in place, and there's still a lot to play for in that regard.
1: Greg, when you look at um, getting better week to week, what do you want to see Saturday um, before we get into how and why it'll happen? But what do you want to see um, Saturday that shows you uh, having covered Carolina for over a decade now, that they are actually doing that. They're actually getting better. I feel like this has been a deja vu week for me. I feel like I've asked this same question before, probably have, Um, probably last year, year before last, definitely during the Fedora era. (laughs) What happened Saturday for for you to believe that Carolina is getting better, Greg?
2: Well, Jason's talked about it before, Um, but I think if you look at how Nick Saban has run his program, we are so as, as a society and especially with with college sports um, sports in general we are so driven by results that if if a kid makes a mistake this week and he somehow makes the same mistake next week well he hasn't gotten any better they uh, need to get him off the field you know, bench him until he figures out how to do it right if he's doing all the things, in three days of practicing in the film room that he's supposed to be doing and he's showing improvement just because he makes a mistake on Saturday doesn't mean he didn't learn anything it's about the process it's not about the results and it is very difficult for people to understand that but regardless of what what you do I mean it can be your job it can be sports uh you know I see it with my son as he plays golf you bang your head against whatever drills you're doing, trying to get better. And it seems like maybe the success is not coming. But if you keep your head down and you keep plowing through and keep trying to do the right thing, eventually it's going to work out for you. Um, and it, it's, it's tough for, for kids to understand that. Uh, that's why the coaches are there, making sure they understand exactly what they're supposed to be doing so that they can learn. And it's very tough for fans, though, because fans don't get to see these kids in practice. They don't understand, well, why is this kid playing when he's making mistakes? Well, it's probably because he's making less mistakes than everybody else in his position. And so that's really the thing is, we saw this defense, for example, play really good against Duke. Now, Duke's not world beaters, but that's a good running game. And so you, they should have felt good about themselves after that game. Did they feel too good about themselves? Possibly. But you can learn from that outcome. And then you go into Florida State, and a lot of things went wrong. And, and Jason's done a really good job this week of kind of breaking that down with how UNC struggled against the, the QB run game. Um, but you have to learn from that. You have to try to clean that up and play a little bit better this week. And so it's not going to be a significant jump in terms of how much better UNC plays potentially. It may be, but it may not be. But you can't judge strictly on the results. You have to have to understand that the coaches are trying to get these kids to understand the process and they're trying to gradually get better. And at some point, when you have an offensive line that's struggling a little bit, When you have running backs who maybe aren't as patient as they need to be and aren't using their vision the way that they need to be, and you've got wide receivers who are struggling to get separation, and you've got Sam Howell who's having some issues with decision-making. If you just improve a little bit in each of those areas, it makes a big difference. and It it made this pop for North Carolina on Saturday, and people are like, well, why didn't they do this last week? It's just small little details uh, that come into play. It's very hard to quantify that, Tommy but it's just is just seeing gradual improvement along the way to make sure the team's getting better
0: you mentioned to build right on there on for just a second yeah you go know, ahead you know you know how anybody remember um, how back in like 04 0304 but it's about really 04 and early 05 that you kept here in tiger woods who was not playing at the level that he played you know he he won you know he won the tiger slam in 2000 2001 came out of that, won his last major for a while in 2002, didn't win a major in 2003. He decided to tinker with the swing some. 2004, when I went without a major, and that was when he started working with Hank Haney, right? And he goes through that whole year, and he's just not playing the way that, you know, Tiger had played. And he would go out there, and he was at one point getting mocked by people within the media and and otherwise, and I can't imagine if social media had been today like it uh, had been then like it is today, but he was, he, he would come off the course and, you know, he'd be, he'd, he'd have shot around that was just not at his standard. And they'd say, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? And he just kept, he kept saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm really close. I'm, you know, I'm close. And I, I feel it like there's just times where I'm just not quite there and certain old habits are coming back and it's disrupting, but I'm really close. And that whole thing about, like, oh, Tiger's still close. It's coming. Like, how long before, you know, oh, he's going to be close the next time. And then he reeled off major after major after major after major. Six and three years. Six and three years once it actually fully took. He went from close to the most dominant anybody's been over over a three-year stretch. Like that. And all of a sudden, boom. He... He made that transition. And what I'm seeing right now from North Carolina in a lot of respects, I mean, when I break down the the defensive film in particular, I see a team that's close. I see a defense that's close. It's like, man, if they can get that just, I mean, that's really close. If he can just get that cleaned up, if that guy doesn't take that false step, if that guy does his job here and has good eye discipline, then everybody's at the ball. Like they get a stop here instead of a touchdown. And over and over and over again it's like man they're really close this is not a situation where I'm watching these and going yeah they're just out like they got they got no shot here right I mean it'd be like if you watch the Miami game against against Alabama those guys are doing their jobs in many cases and they're just not good enough it's just not And in that game, you're not going like, oh, man, Miami's close. Like if they just like if that guy just does his job a little better, uh, they're close. They're going to be competing without like they had no shot, not close. That's not what it's looked like in any game for North Carolina this year. Now, they haven't played Alabama, granted, but they're close. It's that Tiger thing where they're on the range. And what that means is you got to spend the time on the range. Then you got to take the range to the course, figure out what went wrong go back to the range and fix it. And the range is practice. And obviously the, you know, the course is the game and eventually it's going to come out. Eventually it's going to work now when it's going to work. I don't know. It may, it may not actually all click this year, but I, I mean, I see a team in a lot of respects, especially on the defensive side. That's close offensively. I think there's more room to more, more room to, to, uh, to, grow in terms of that they are there are a few things that they can do that can get them to where they're a little closer but offensively i've got a few additional concerns but i mean i think both sides of the ball really you can look at them and just go this is close to being a really good team
1: yeah and i was going to mention before you did that you mentioned earlier in the week and have said it a lot the line between winning and losing is very very thin in college football and um while it doesn't look like it at times like you mentioned close can also be on the other side where you lose 35 to 25 to a team that's not very good and if you anyway and you end well, up and three, the, and three and three
0: and the interesting thing is that florida state's been close i mean you think about that team's a bat, not a good football team they're not good but they're a misfield field goal from beating notre dame in game one they're a an idiotic uh uh, call and performance against a hail mary from from winning game two, and then you know they turned it over six times at Wake, and then they lose by one score to Syracuse in a game to uh, Louisville in a game that they they really they outplayed Louisville in that game. That's a team that really probably should be four and two right now. Maybe you know if with a bounce five and one, and again you're looking at how close they are on a lot of things. You go, man, they're they're a field goal away from beating Notre Dame, you know, Hail Mary away. All of a sudden the narrative about that team and even about that loss for North Carolina looks very different. So again, the margins in college football are really
1: thin. Really thin. Indeed. Let's talk about Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt.com before we come mm-hmm. back and actually talk about mm-hmm. how this game will break down. They are our friends at Inside Carolina that are certainly friends of you the Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. They're on Franklin Street. Go visit them. If you're in town for the game on Saturday or come in early on Friday, go see them on Franklin Street. Great customer service and just great all-around good people there. Tell them you're Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. Get that 10% off. Can't get there? Do it online. Rate us, review us, subscribe, Apple, iTunes, however you get your podcast and on the YouTube channel. And it'll come straight to your smartphone. This thing right here, it will tell you when there's inside Carolina premium content and you get to see Greg Barnes's face on these YouTube channels much better than this old guy on this corner. National guys pay the bills. We'll come back game plan, Miami edition.
3: Hey guys, this is Ross Martin from inside Carolina. And I want to talk to you about inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's blue shark vodka. Blue shark vodka is a family owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awakening flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light. It's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned. And it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka.
4: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today.
1: All right, boys, it's the game plan. I'm recording this Wednesday night, so Carolina's going into... Um, late in the week, getting prepared for Miami. Greg, you're coming off a loss to Florida State. Um, the coaches have talked about it in their press conferences. They believe they're close. They, they don't believe it's as bad as it looks, but it's still a loss. Um, where is the mental aspect mindset of this team going into this Miami game? And how important is that for their success on Saturday?
2: Well, if there's one thing about this team, um, they've struggled to deal with adversity very well, which is a problem. Uh, but they they've avoided back-to-back poor games, uh, and that's that's important. They've at least have shown the ability to to bounce back. But I think the adversity aspect is is such a weird thing because if you look at the first two years under Mac, I mean every game was close. The the only games that were not single-digit losses was Notre Dame, which is a college football playoff team last year, and that was a fourteen point game. It was closed in the second half, and then the fourteen point loss to Texas A and M. Um, and Carolina led in the fourth quarter of that game. But then you you get to this year, and they they did okay against Virginia Tech. I mean, they didn't play well, but they they stood in the game, and uh, I mean, they had the ball there late before that interception with with in Virginia Tech territory with a chance to win. But then you you have a series of events and. Uh, Atlanta, where after Georgia Tech took the lead in the in the first half, North Carolina just had no answer. And then against Florida State, they came out second half, got a three and out, got scored. Thinking, okay, you're doing pretty good. And then once Florida State answered, it was over. We haven't seen that really out of this program. So I think that's probably the concerning thing for the for the coaches is how do you address that? And I know there's a lot of leadership issues. I'm curious to hear Jason's Jason's take on that. Um, but I, I think it really is kind of the mental aspect is, is making sure the guys are ready to go, making sure they're not too amped up. They know this game is critically important. You lose this game. Now you're really fighting for your lives for postseason eligibility, um, which is a challenge, right? And so you don't want to be in that position because this is one of the games you probably need, especially with Miami playing with a third string quarterback. Um, so you have to make sure the guys come in with the right mindset. And then it's, it's kind of the same thing is executing to the best of your ability knowing what you can do well. I mean, Miami has really struggled this year. They're they're not near they're nowhere near as good defensively as I think a lot of people thought they would be. Um, they've probably been worse than North Carolina defensively. And when you don't have Derek King running the show offensively, uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be bad. They were not competitive against Alabama, as we've already talked about. They were not competitive against Michigan State. So this is the game where North Carolina can come out and set the tone. But if Miami does punch them, they have to be able to withstand it, uh, and if they can, not I think they win this game. But I think handling that adversity better is really key to this game.
1: When you look at their schedules, it's it's odd. First of all, they've had they had four straight home games after that Alabama game in Atlanta, and then they were off last week. But they've done the same thing: all, Alabama loss, win app state lost to michigan state win at central connecticut state lose to virginia then they have a bye week before they come to carolina carolina's virtually been the same way save for the georgia tech game thrown in there jason i mean it's kind of like we we talk about it it's like seeing the ball go through the basket this defense needs to see especially the defense and we talked about Choffrey brown and the wide receivers earlier in the week and it felt like mac brown had if not seen that discussion had heard about that discussion um and the way he answered taylor's question on wednesday but uh who all needs to see the ball go through the basket for this team is it both sides of the ball is it the defense is it specific players i mean wh- how do these boys get it back on the right track against the miami team that's got some talent they just hadn't put it together either
0: I think on the offensive side, I mean, we've talked about the guys that need to see the ball go through the basket. And, and, and really it's more, more than anything, it's the wide receivers and to some extent, Sam Howell. So Howell's a guy where if he can get the ball, if he can complete, I still think Antoine green is one of the most important guys on this offense, because if he can present a vertical threat on some of these things, if Howell can complete a, a deep post or two to him, like what he came open on against Georgia tech, then maybe that activates Howell's uh, confidence to be able to, to pull that trigger more often. And then all of a sudden that opens up a lot in the offense. Same thing with Choffrey. And I think also Ty Chandler in the, in the passing game in particular is another thing where the offense, you start getting that feel and you start looking for it. You start expecting it. So, I mean, I think Howell needs to see the ball go through the basket more. Defensively, I really think it's, a, it's more about being sound enough on first and second down that you can get teams in longer yardage. This defense has been fine when they've been able to win on first down. What Florida State was able to do, and what Georgia Tech was able to do, that gave them. Try- and actually, you go all the way back to Virginia Tech. What those teams were able to do is stay ahead of the chains enough that they couldn't. That, that, that the defense could never make them one-dimensional in the way that they wanted. And that's the thing. So you look at the difference between that and say, Duke, Duke's trying to run the football and they just couldn't. And they got one dimensional and they got blown out. The same thing happened with Virginia, right? They're, they're moving the football through the air, but they also are behind the chains a decent amount. They turned it over key time or two. And then in the second half, they couldn't sustain those drives because they got behind the chains the defense really just needs to it, it, it's a the ball in the basket thing for the defense is getting guys to stay in their gaps and, and mind their eye discipline enough and actually see those five and six yard gains turn into one and two yard gains and tackles for loss. It's really about just being in the right spots with good eye discipline to do that. As soon as they get that, now now you get the confidence of getting stops because you're starting, to get, you're starting to get a lot of pressure on teams, right? You get lots of pressure when you get them on, uh, on long yardage, and you can use some of the other benefits that you have on your defense in terms of disguise and all that. To me, it's as simple as that for the defense. Can they find ways? And I think that's very true against this Miami team, which especially with Van Dyke at quarterback, are they going to be able to stop the run on first down? If they can, if they can limit Miami's running game, in the, the kind of offense that Miami likes to run with, where their strength is clearly the running back position. And they're trying to run the football in that spread spread look. They're going to try to spread you and shred you. If you can stop them on first down and they can be in second and seven or longer through this game, North Carolina, win the game. I think it's as simple as that. Can, can they keep that, that, can they keep their, their, Uh, those first down run plays for Miami, can they get enough of those that are three yards and less? If they can, I think they win this football game.
2: Tommy, Florida State uh, was 7 of 10 on third down. They had a third and 15, uh, I think it was on the opening drive of the game. That was an incomplete pass. They had a third and 12, which is the one with the dime package where Clyde Pender drops back into coverage, everybody's like to talk about Other than those two plays, their average down in distance was was third and four on third down. You're going to have a lot of success on on third and four, especially with a a mobile quarterback like Jordan Travis.
1: Yeah, and and let's look at Miami, Greg, a little bit. I mean, Charleston Rambo, that's definitely all-American name uh, team there. (laughs) And and you got Cameron Harris, that's pretty good. But the quarterback position, we've talked about it, Derek King's out, Van Dyke is in. How does that change the game for Miami? as far as benefiting Carolina. Clearly, King's wheels are great, but Carolina looks at – or Carolina fans especially look at last season and say, look how they dominated Derek King last year. Um, what does Van Dyke do that could give this defense trouble if, as Jason talked about, they're playing as they're supposed to?
2: Well, I don't know if, any, if either of you watched the Virginia game. Um, he really struggled in the first half. He looked good in the second half. Um, I thought he really kind of got his confidence and, and really started making some plays. Miami should have won that game. Uh, they got a little too conservative there at the very end and, and settled for a field goal instead of trying to score a touchdown. Um, but he's a big kid. I mean, I think he's 6'4", 220, uh, pocket passer. So Derek King's strength, because he's a smaller guy, is his mobility. And his, he can move around, make some passes. Uh, he's kind of a, a squiggly guy. It's kind of hard to get your hands on. Um, North Carolina did a good job limiting him last year, and he's not a guy uh, that has a lot of success throwing the ball down the field, King being that guy. So I, I think with Van Dyke, it's going to be interesting to see what, what they do with him. Um, yeah, I, I think he's got a big arm. Um, he made some good passes, made some good decisions. The running game is really what sparked Miami in the second half against Virginia. We know Virginia's defense is not very good. Um, Van Dyke converted a very big play late, uh, had a touchdown run. He's got good straight, you know, straight line speed. He, he's not the quickest, for sure, mobility-wise. Um, but I think you know, I think he's a guy that, that gives him some potential. He's, he's young and inexperienced. So you have to get after him and, and try to put him in situations where, kind of as Jason talks about, you got to put him in situations where he knows that everybody's coming after him and all the pressure is on him to make a play. And so that's, you get in those third and long situations, you really stress him and put him in situations he's never experienced before. Um, but I think talent-wise, while he is a lot different from Derek King, um, I, I think he's got some potential, and long-term, I mean, he could be a, a good player for him. Twenty-five
1: forty-one for four seventy-three four and zero on the season. I mean, so he, he's had some good stats, Jason. Yeah, but keep in mind that the that he was
0: ten of eleven for a good, a healthy amount of yardage against uh, what? Who was it? Uh, Central Connecticut State when they put up
1: sixty-nine <laughs> points. Okay, but well we continue to talk about how great Carolina's defense played against Duke and Central Connecticut State Duke. C- what's the difference? Central Connecticut <laughs>
0: State is is I think they might be, might be even worse than Duke.
1: I saw them on so, the JUCO circuit. So let's talk about the receivers though. They do have guys that can give Carolina trouble in the back end. Another all American name, Xavier Restrepo. Is that how you say it? Mm hmm. Re- Jason, where's the problems that they could cause in that regard for Carolina, given what you've been showing us on the breakdowns of the bust, especially in the defensive backfields?
0: Well, one of the things that they do is they 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 they, they get a lot of vertical routes, and they'll use some switch concepts and things to. So if you're if you're in uh, in man coverage, they're going to take that outside receiver and switch him with the inside receiver. They're going to run. They love the wheel concept to the running backs and to slot receivers. They're going to force you to cover verticals. I mean, this is this is uh, an offense. Actually, it's the same sort of offensive family tree as what Mike Norvell is. So, you know, both Norvell and um, uh, his name's escaping me now at Miami. Miami um,
1: Manny Diaz.
0: Oh, Diaz is, a, is the defensive guy. But um uh, it's funny because I interviewed him back years ago uh, when he was at Auburn. Um, in any case, both guys go back to um, to Gus Malzon.
2: You're talking about Lashley, is that yeah, him? Rhett Lashley. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, gotcha.
0: yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Lashley is a uh, is is really the guy that that runs their offense. And you know he he was a guy that he was with Gus Malzon for like eight years. I mean that that he was one of Malzon's quarterbacks and then came up through the Malzon system. They run a Malzon offense, but with a little bit more vertical passing than Malzon typically does. Um, so, and, and Mike Norvell started under Gus Malzahn as well and still has a lot of Malzon influence in, in his offense as well. So there's some similarities there in terms of what they faced against Florida State. Now, Norvell tends to be more creative in the running game than, uh, than, than Lashley. Lashley tends to you know push the ball a little bit more down the field in, uh, in terms of getting some verticals. Uh, at least at this stage. I mean, Norvell's not doing that as much just because he doesn't have the personnel for it. Uh, So they're going to see a lot of the same kinds of things out of more spread out looks than what they got from Norvell, but the same kind of stuff is going to go on in the box in terms of the kinds of run concepts that they're going to face in terms of a lot of things that they're going to see. So, I mean, a lot of what Florida State did to give them trouble, you're going to see Lashley try to do. And, you know, the question is, are they going to be any better at it? And also, you know, are, are you going to see Miami execute on some of those things as well as Florida state happened to, uh, in that game. So, you know, you look at what they're doing. Rambo is a threat over the top. He can, and he's a, he's a complete receiver. I mean, it's amazing. Again, he, he, he transferred from OU because OU was too loaded at wide receiver. And now he's by far the best receiver at Miami. Uh, so, you know, kind of tells you where OU is offensively, but, um, but, you know, he's a guy that is a complete receiver. He can move around. Uh, he's got enough size. I think he's, what, about 6'1", uh, about 190 pounds. Handles himself well. And he does a lot of the little things well on verticals to make it difficult for corners who are even in position. So, uh, you know, he helps his quarterback out. Other than that, you know, Harley, Restrepo, some of those guys, they've got guys that can, that can really run. I mean, these are guys that are under, five, un, under six foot and can and can create big plays if they get the ball in space. So this is a game where you have to tackle well. You have to take good angles. You have to do some of those things that Carolina has struggled with in the games that they've lost. And you know th- this is another opportunity to show that you're growing as a defense. But there's what Miami's going to do to you. They're going to spread you. And in the passing game, they're going to try to get vertical. They're going to try to get some guys the, the smaller guys the ball in space. But really, what they're going to try to do more than anything, especially with that freshman quarterback, is they're going to spread you, and then they're going to try to give some talented running backs running lanes, and they're going to see if they can run it on your front. And they're going to do that more out of some spread stuff than than maybe what they what what Florida State did, but th- that's going to be the emphasis.
2: Tommy, who did, who did North Carolina have success in the run game against this year? There's really only been one team. Virginia. The rush for 392 yards. 8.3 yards per carry against Virginia uh, in the first half last week. Miami rushed for 31 yards on 17 carries in the first half against the same Virginia defense.
0: And that's not because they don't have backs; they've got uh, backs, uh, but they uh, block.
1: You, you haven't learned your lesson, Greg Barnes. You're saying and that. that
2: now in the second <laughs> half. In the second half, Miami came alive, right? Um, but that that goes to show that Virginia was. Adamant that they were going to stop the run. Miami's offensive line struggled because they didn't want to put Van Dyke under pressure uh, and they failed in that regard. And that's why that game kind of got out of hand early. And then, you know, whether Virginia took the foot off the gas or Miami just kind of got their their crap together in the second half, uh, offensive line started playing better. Van Dyke started playing better. Those backs started hitting some gaps. And now all of a sudden things are clicking. Um, And so it's Jason's exactly right. Uh, but it's not like Miami offensively has been great at all this year. Even when they had the Eric King, they were still struggling a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, you, you have to put them in a position where if they're behind the chains, it's going to be a chore for, for Lashley and his crew to, to have consistent success.
0: Well, I mean, look at their yards per carry on the season in terms of each game. They average 2.81 against Alabama. You can kind of throw that one out. It's Alabama. <laughs> Right. It's Alabama. Okay. You kind of ignore that one, but then they averaged 4.07 yards per carry against app state. That's on 43 carries. It's not because they didn't run it. They didn't try to run it. The reason that game was close. I mean, they beat app state 25, 23 was because they, they really did not have a ton of success on the, they tried to run their stuff on the ground with the Eric King and didn't have a ton of success because they weren't able really to block app state up front, a good portion of that game. Then they averaged 2.17 yards per game against Michigan state or uh, per carry against Michigan state in the running game, 2.17. Then against central Connecticut state, they got healthy central Connecticut state. They ran for 322 yards on 7.16 yards per carry. I think you can kind of throw that one out. And then they went, played against Virginia and, as we've, as we've talked about, Virginia is not very good on defense. Virginia gave up 4.23 yards per carry on the game. Now, like you said, it wasn't very good in the first half. They averaged about seven yards per carry in the second half when they figured it, figured some things out, but that's not great. The other, the, the flip side of this, anybody remember what happened um, on the other side of the ball against Virginia? What, what, what was, uh, what was Virginia's running game like against uh, against North Carolina? How much does Carolina much did zip run 20,
2: over? 21 yards? Right.
0: Yeah. I think it was about 21 yards. Um, I'm, uh, I'm actually looking at it, um, in terms of, um, of what Miami put up against Virginia, Miami had, uh, gave up. Any guesses? Uh, Greg, you probably got the stats in front of you.
2: Yeah. So I won't say, hey,
0: yeah,
1: y'all go ahead. I'm not a stat guy. I'm looking at. They gave,
0: <laughs> for For Virginia, Virginia, ran for 181 yards against Miami on 5.1 yards per carry.
1: You know, I always say it's not the despair that gets you. It's the hope. And I hear y'all boys are selling a bunch of hope. So Virginia
0: averaged 1.09 yards per carry for 24 total yards against North Carolina. They averaged 5.17 for 181 yards against Miami. So. I mean, there's reason for hope. We'll just say that. That doesn't mean that North Carolina is going to go out there and run the ball at will and stop the run. I mean, other factors are in play here. But you look at some of these things and you go, man, Miami is, you know, they were ranked, weren't they preseason, you know, what, preseason top 12 or whatever? Yep. They, they really, that that is. they are not that and they've got some holes up front. They they've given they've given up some space in the running game all season. I mean, looking at their their rushing output on the season, their run defense, they gave up 3.87 yards per carry to Alabama. That's pretty good. 3.26 to App State, pretty good. 4.71 against Michigan State, eh, not so much. 5.17 against Virginia. So you're probably not going to just dominate running against Miami, but you do notice that that number creeping up as you're getting into late season, Miami. And that brings us to our next thing. This is late season, Miami, <laughs> right? We might only be in week six.
2: It matters more in Miami, right?
0: <laughs> That's right. So here's the thing. I mean, we've all talked about this before. You want to catch Miami really ideally after the midpoint of the season, but at least after the first month especially in a season where they played Bama in, in game one, you want to, you know, you can kind of play them five, six games in and you're playing a different Miami team. Because what you said, Greg, about North Carolina having to respond to getting punched in the mouth, Miami is, is kind of, you know, Deontay Wilder here, right? They got a big, a big right hook and they could knock you out, maybe. That right hand is strong. But if you box them at this point in the year, I'm not sure I believe that they that 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 they're really gonna gonna put you on the mat all the you know beyond the say fourth round if you just stay if you just keep getting up so that's kind of my my thought on this
1: all right let's get right on to it H-
2: hang on hang on let me say this Tommy A couple uh, you, things yeah. <laughs> n- n- number one I'm always fascinated by some <laughs> of these random FCS teams that that teams play. Central Connecticut State. So the week before Miami, they played Southeastern Louisiana and lost fifty-six to (laughs) ten. Not a good football season for the Central Connecticut. Uh, Looks like they're the Blue Devils.
1: Um, Oh, that that seems so fitting. (laughs) How fitting! Uh, A Northeast school is the Blue Devils.
2: So you talk about hope, Tommy. The, The stats, though, that that we've laid out are important because if you just look at the the surface level, you can say, okay, well. Miami lost to Alabama. Everybody loses to Alabama. Miami lost to Michigan State, who's 6-0. And I think they're top 10 now, even though they really hadn't played too many teams. Uh, they lost to Virginia, but it was a close game. Derek King didn't play. So even though they're two and three, yeah, they're still probably a pretty good team, right? I mean, they're 17th strength of schedule. They've lost to the three teams that are combined 15 and 3. Whereas North Carolina has lost three teams with a combined record of eight and nine. Carolina, of course, has a 61st strength of schedule nationally.
1: There's the Greg Barnes. I don't know
2: that gives you a lot of hope and <laughs> praise in what Miami's done, right? But when you listen to the numbers that, that, that we've laid out, there's no evidence to suggest that the only reason Miami's not, you know, five and oh or four and one is that Derek King is banged up and they just play great teams. They didn't play very well against those good teams. They didn't play very well against App State. Didn't play well enough against Virginia, even though they should have beat Virginia. Um, Give them credit for Central Connecticut State, right? Sixty-nine zip. We'll give them credit for that one. They just have not looked like a really good team thus far. And that, of course, is on Manny Diaz. You can say the same thing about Carolina. I get it. Um, But, you know, some of those numbers there in terms of strength of schedule and who they've lost to, I think gives people some some false hope that maybe the hurricanes are better than what their schedule says they are. I, I don't think they are.
1: So let's let's call this the failure to live up to expectations bowl. There we go. Jason, how's it play out? I thought that was last week.
0: It oh, that was, like the doc, that was, that's I, right. That was the doc staples bowl. This was yeah. the failure to live up the expectations. <laughs> well, bowl.
1: Florida state wasn't ranked in top 15, like both these teams were.
0: That's true. Okay.
1: And uh, so give us a, a breakdown on what happens and then a final score.
0: So one last thing in terms of, uh, of looking at their, <laughs> at their roster, a couple things to keep in mind, they do have a, a few guys in their secondary that you have to keep an eye on. So the one thing that I think Carolina has to be most concerned about in this game is turning the ball over. And, you know, I mean, that's always true, but against Miami in particular, they've got some guys who can cover and who are ball hawks in that, in that secondary Bubba Bolden, uh, the junior safety there, he's kind of their defensive leader. He's a guy you have to know where he is because they move him around. They do a lot with him. He's, he's key in the, in, in run support, and he'll get his hands on the football. Uh, And then they've got a corner who, again, this is just, it's wild that, this is this is the way that this is working, but their best corner by far is a transfer from Georgia. <laughs> Tyreek Stevenson.
1: I couldn't and that see kid the can,
0: and that kid can play. He is a really good prospect at corner. I mean, he's an NFL NFL prospect for sure. Uh, and I mean, if then, if nothing tells you how good Georgia is right now, talent-wise, you can you can make the case that the that I mean, obviously, the best player on Florida State's defense, arguably the defensive player of the year so far in the ACC, was a backup at Georgia, and so he transferred out. <laughs> and now the best corner by far at Miami, also a transfer <laughs> from Georgia. But he's a guy that, that I think if you're, if you're Sam Howell, you need to know which side he's on because that's probably not the side that you ought to attack. If you're trying to get a guy, an outside receiver, the uh, you know, involved in the game, you, you go to the other side from that guy. I think a lot in this game. And I'm curious to see if, if given how much they like to play man, if they actually move Stevenson inside some to put him on Josh downs, I wouldn't be surprised given Manny's history to see them try to do some of that, to put best on best. So that's one other thing to keep an eye on just in terms of matchups that they've got some guys in the secondary that, that you got to respect and you have to know where they are. All that said, when it comes down to it, I I think, uh, I mean, we were talking uh, off air that at this point, predictions involving either Miami or North Carolina is a fool's errand. And yet here we are lined up to be fools.
2: Knock them down.
0: We are. <laughs> so, you know, I wouldn't run to the betting table with any of this stuff because- you know, in, in some sense, you are you're really rolling the dice with both of these programs right now to see which which team comes out and does what. So prefacing all of that, I think this is a bounce back game for North Carolina. I, I think this is a game that North Carolina can and should win. So, you know, I look at this and I say, I like. What North Carolina can do on the defensive line and the defensive front against what Miami does in the running game, especially without a De'eric King at quarterback. You look at what's given North Carolina the most trouble this year. It's, co- it's a common, there's a single common denominator on all three of the offenses that have beaten them. Burmeister, guy can run. Sims, Jordan Travis, Teams have beaten my teams that have beaten North Carolina this year have done it largely on the strength of the quarterback running game, which I mean everybody struggles against quarterbacks that can run. Let's be honest; it's it's just a numbers game. But Van Dyke is not that guy. I mean, can he run a little bit? Yeah, but he's not he's not one of those guys. So you know, I think what they're going to be able to do defensively in terms of matching up with the, with the Miami offensive line that I think has struggled this year. I think they're going to have some success being able to get Miami's offense off the field with the defense and get the ball to the offense. And I think they're going to be able to establish some running game in this game to have some balance and help Sam Howell out. So I think this is a bounce back game for Carolina. Do I think it's a guaranteed win? No, I think this is about a 60-40 shot maybe a little bit a little bit better shot than that but what that means is I'll, I'll put this game down as something like north carolina 31 miami 27 something like that in that range is about where i would expect this game to end up maybe 34 27 that's i think the around the around the range and uh, and in the realm of you know a turnover to changes the game but I think that's where, where things are. If, if both teams play reasonably well, I think Carolina's the better team and should come out, come out a Victor. I mean, the quarterback position, I think, is really the, the trump card here.
1: Yeah, that's a similar score that I was thinking about. Um, back talking about Georgia and their transfers, they could have more players on all ACC team than they do on all SEC team. Um, pretty impressive there. Greg, what happens and what's the score? And we'll talk yeah. to you again on Saturday, so you can lock it in now or you can change it on Saturday.
2: I'm in agreement with Jason. I, mean, I, I don't feel like we've we've used this phrase enough this year, but he, he kind of took it there at the end. It seems like in years past we've been able to say, Carolina's got the better quarterback in this game, therefore edge UNC. But I think this is truly the case. You've got a, a young kid with a lot of potential in Van Dyke. Um, I, like I said, I, I was impressed with how he played second half against Virginia especially considering how he played in the first half. Um, but even though Sam has struggled a little bit this year, I think that differential, given how both teams have struggled across the board in different areas, you got to give Sam the upper hand. So I've, I I think North Carolina wins this one um, a little bit handier, if that's a word, um, 35-24. But I, I think this is a bounce back game. I think Jason's exactly right. I will say this just to give – Fans, something to look forward to and to to watch. Look at number fifty-six for Miami's defensive line, Leonard Taylor. If you're hoping Travis Shaw comes in next year and is able to be a playmaker up front, look at Leonard Taylor. He was uh, number one kid out of Florida last year. He's a top ten national recruit. That defensive tackle. Um, He's now midway through the season, starting to splash. Just incredible amount of talent. uh, Like six three, six four, three hundred pounds. He is great athlete. Um, and so, if you're if you're looking forward to a guy like Shaw coming in and being able to establish his presence from the get go, uh, enjoy watching Taylor because he's going to be a good player for them.
1: Good stuff there. Great uh, way to point out some uh, a relevant comp
2: number number fifty six. Yep.
1: Yep. So it'll be fun to watch to see him. I'll certainly check him out as well. Jason Staples, Greg Barnes. This has been the Game Plan Podcast. I'm not predicting that. I think I'm gonna predict like some like three to two. Or, or.
2: <laughs> may as well, yeah. may as well.
1: <laughs>
0: after uh, 12 and 0 I think you know at this point you're just you <laughs> just got to make you just got to get it out you got to survive the season
1: uh, yeah they're gonna win it on a field gold uh, Miami's gonna get a safety with 30 seconds left Sam's gonna lead them down they're gonna win it on a field goal a 50-yard field goal three to two <laughs> be epic boys it's always a pleasure Johnny t-shirt always many thanks for sponsoring us com, the game plan podcast. Jason Staples, Greg Barnes. I'm Tommy Ashley. We'll talk around you soon.